Well, good evening. Welcome to the house of the Lord. It's good to be back in God's house in His presence. I am thankful that God is not constricted to a building anymore, to a temple made with hands, but He says He wants to inhabit His people, the blood-washed, the blood-bought. Amen. Thank the Lord. So good to see each one of you. We got some visitors. We've got some that are missing. Let's remember those who are sick and not able to be here tonight. Let's stand and welcome the Lord's presence here in prayer. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would move mightily in this service. Make it a time that counts for eternity. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We need your filling. We need your voice in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would work in this service. May your Holy Spirit have his precious way. We ask, Lord, that every part of the service, through the singing, the testimonies, the prayer time, the ministry of the word, that it would bring glory to your name and build us up and encourage us to walk closer to you. Give us light to walk in. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to obey. And we'll praise you forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Trust you're ready to worship the Lord in song this evening as our sister comes to lead us in worship. Sing as unto the Lord. Well, we've still been celebrating Christmas with some Christmas carols, so we'll turn to number 448 this evening to begin with. <clears throat> o little town of Bethlehem. This last verse is, speaks about, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Invites him to come and we invite him to come and be in our midst tonight. Be born in us. 
Well, I'm glad that he does, just doesn't come as we meet together in church, but this says abide with us. Amen. As we go out through every day of the week, we can have him with us to guide and direct our ways. Does someone else have a song you'd like to sing? All right, 449, the first Noel. I was looking at that one this evening. Noel means Christmas carol. And so it says, the first Noel the angels did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. So they heard the first Christmas carol, didn't they? As the angels sang that night. All right, number 449. said together that night, wasn't it? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace, goodwill toward men. So that's the first Christmas carol we know about. Nobody's put that into music that I know of, but anyhow, that was their, their message that night. <clears throat> well, let's turn back to the page before number 447, Joy to the World. And I'll ask you to stand together as we sing. <clears throat> Joy to the World. glad that he ever came. What poor lost souls we would be if he had not come to this world and given his life, but I'm thankful for that tonight. Thank you for your good singing. <clears throat> Amen. Maybe you have a testimony on your heart this evening. I'm glad for the wonders of his love. Amen. Praise the Lord. I thank you for saving me and sanctifying me and keeping me by his Amen. love, by his power. I love you. Praise the Lord. Good. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Good. Praise the Lord. I thought that song, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, that fourth verse stuck out to me. It says, No ear may hear us coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still the dear christ enters in amen aren't you so glad that he's still about entering into souls and being the savior being the king of kings and the lord of lords amen it's just not a story that happened thousands of years ago but it's a reality today praise the lord amen anyone else with a testimony for jesus <laughs> amen <laughs> but I am grateful that Amen. no matter what you've done, where you've been, or how you've done it, Christ is still forgiven. Amen. You can bow anywhere. You don't have to come to church to bow. Amen. You can bow in the middle of I said goodbye if you want to. Amen. Amen. Good. 
That's good. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good. Good. Anybody else? All right. We'll give you opportunity a little bit later on. Let's prepare our hearts to go to prayer. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank the Lord that He hears and He cares. Amen. I was just praying and thinking about that passage in Matthew there. I think long about Matthew number 6 or chapter 6 and tells us that he cares for the sparrows. He's very much aware when a sparrow falls from the sky. And he reminds his children, he said, And how much more are you worth above a sparrow? Thank the Lord that he cares for us and he watches over us. And it's uh, been said here not too, too many services ago that God cares about the little things. And he does because really it's such a big God that anything is little to him. And he does care about the little things. And I thank the Lord for that. Praise His name. Maybe someone else has a testimony on your heart. I'm thankful that God's so faithful to our souls. And Amen. I was just reading a story about a missionary from a long time ago, and it was just so encouraging to be reminded that God, um, God does amazing things in people's lives. And he Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. After a testimony like that, I can't be more excited to just remind you that that is my wife. <laughs> I appreciate my wife, and the Lord has blessed us here. We just got married in April, and I said, it just seems like it's been so long. seems like we've just always lived this way. <laughs> Amen. We thank the Lord. Anyone else with a praise on your heart? Good. Praise the Lord. Amen. Testimony, even the devil can be defeated by a child. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Power of our great God. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. What comfort and peace to know that our great God is near. Amen. Amen. All right. If Brother Mike will come, we'll pass the offering plate. I always like my church back home. It said on the cornerstone, Oh, he to have no money come. <laughs> Why well, I thank the Lord that we're not one of those churches that has to ask for a whole bunch of money. We're not here to ask for your money. And this is, I always tell people the first time coming here, we don't want you to get any money. We don't want you to be sidetracked. Some, my, my grandpa used to witness to people and he said, well, he said, all the church wants is your money. And my grandpa used to say, well, that's all Kroger's wants is your money. <laughs> I know it does take money to keep the lights on. But I thank the Lord for a church board that operates efficiently. And we're low in number and we operate efficiently. And the money that we do receive keeps the lights on, keeps the heat in there. And uh, I always tell the church board, I say, it's our desire to carry on the heritage of sharing the gospel uh, that God has blessed us with. And the people, I, I wasn't around uh, when they started building this church. I wasn't even alive when they started building this church. And I'm still learning the history of everything. Uh, but I am thankful for those that uh, God put it on their hearts and they were faithful uh, to rise up the, the bricks and mortar and the siding and the wood and put the shingles on. And uh, thank the Lord that we are out of debt. That's not something that a lot of churches can say. Uh, we can operate on a shoestring budget. Uh, but with that, know that we're not out to get your money. <laughs> Follow the Lord's leading if he's put, put that upon your heart. But uh, we pass the offering plate for those who uh, are the regulars and want to give 
to the Lord's kingdom and a little bit of what God has entrusted them with. God says he loves a cheerful giver. And he loves a giver that gives with no restraint. And uh, you don't get blessed because you put a 20 in or a 100 or a 1,000 or a 5 or a penny. Uh, God doesn't operate that way. It's not a bargain counter. And uh, if that's the way your mind is, we don't want your money. <laughs> but uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And the brother like would you ask the blessing on the offering. Dear Lord, we ask you to bless this offering to be uplifting and building in our kingdom. Bless those who do and those who don't have to do it. Find the Lord by his own you can do. Dynamic prayer. love this special season just being reminded of everything that took place a wonderful story amen especially when he lives in your heart thank the lord all hearts clear this evening mind of the lord amen if you have your bibles i would invite you to turn to first timothy first timothy chapter one First Timothy chapter one. I'd like to look at verse number seventeen. Stand when you've found it. We'll read it and after which we'll have prayer. First Timothy chapter one. Verse number seventeen. I've been to some churches that use tablets and cell phones and electronic devices for scripture and I guess I don't mind that. I'm a bit of an old timer myself and when you're a preacher, you especially uh, like the pages so that way you can hear when everybody's on the same page. <laughs> Thank the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, blessed Savior, for coming and dying on a cross for our sins. And we thank you that the story of your birth is so laid out in details which we can understand and that strengthens our faith. We ask, Lord, as we read your word tonight, give us understanding. Not just in our minds, not just physically, Lord, but spiritually. We ask that you would speak to us. Remind us, Lord, of all that you are and all that you do. May you be lifted up tonight in the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some weeks ago, I started sharing out of a study I put together on the names of Christ. God is three persons, not three personalities, but three distinct persons and one God, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this Christmas season is a time to give thanks and a time to focus upon the birth of Christ, Jesus, specifically Jesus Christ, and in this study and a desire to lift up the Lord's name and to lift up Him and to magnify all that He's done. And in a sense to take uh, Mary's testimony. If you read through the Christmas story, you'll find that Mary's desire, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. 
If the Lord would be exalted in our hearts to the place of where He should be, it will help us to live rightly. It will help us to make our decisions rightly. It will help us to uh, choose wisely, as I talked about this morning, the real value system. The value system that's not going to soon pass away in this life that we see it as now. Sometimes our physical ears and our physical eyes and our little pea-sized brains. <laughs> I say pea-sized because we need to be reminded of how small we are in comparison to the Lord. But our physical eyes and our physical ears and our pea-sized minds do get in the way sometimes of our faith. Not saying that you should disregard the things that you see or that you hear, but sometimes the things that we see or hear can distract us from the things that we can know down in our heart. And have that soul knowledge, have that spiritual assurance, understanding that God's word is true and taking it to heart and believing it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it says there in the scriptures. And so as a desire to lift up the Lord, to magnify him, to admire all that he is to us, I have started off in the study of reminding you of the scriptural names of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and the many names for him that are used in the scriptures the different names the different titles what is a name uh, it used to be back in the day that uh, you were named by your parents for a specific reason and names had great meaning they had more meaning than they do today I occasionally run across people that have a name and say why why would a parent bestow a, a beautiful innocent child with a name like that <laughs> But it's a special name when it's given to you. There's some people that will earn a name. They have a reputation. They have a name. They have a title. Uh, I subscribed to something not too long ago, and they said, what, what would you like to be called? Would you like to be called doctor? Would you like to be called mister or uh, sir? What would you like to be called? <laughs> and uh, there's some people that would like to give themselves a name. Uh, in a sense, the Lord has given himself his names by his word. But in another sense, those are names that are given to him, titles that he has earned, titles that uh, are bestowed upon him because of who he is. And I'd like to pick up here, I believe uh, last week, maybe we ended with the one in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 17. Here it says, immortal king, the immortal king. And I shared and refreshed your memories about Jesus being the immortal king about that the word king it describes one who's in supreme authority. The Bible says that we are to pray for our king. And uh, I mentioned last service that uh, we don't have a king to pray for. We have a president. Our president is not actually a king. The way the government system is set up in the United States, that there's a constitution and there's legislators. And laws are made by legislators. They're not made by governors. They're not made by the president. But they're voted in by representatives of the people. And I think maybe some in government forget that. They forget where they came from. They forget their job description. They're not following uh, the, the dictates of the Constitution. There's been a departing from that. But without getting too sidetracked, that the word king describes one who is in supreme authority. One who is above all. And Jesus is named different times as the king. As the king. And we're going to look at some of those names in this passage, he's mentioned as the immortal king, describing that he's not uh, constrained to physicality or, or physics or science as we know it. We say, well, a, a, a person, a person who exists, they can't eat. And actually the disciples said that uh, when after he had resurrected from the dead, Jesus appeared to them and they thought for sure that maybe this was a spirit. There had been some word going around that this is not really a person that we see here. This is not really Jesus. This is just a spirit that looks like him. And he said, no, look, I, I'm eating. Look, I'm taking bread. I, I'm drinking. I, I'm, giving, I'm having sup here. I, I am having fellowship with you and I'm having a meal. And he broke bread and he ate before them to help them to understand that he was real. He was in the flesh. But he is not by any stretch restricted to the physical capacities of which we are restricted to. He came down as God imparted into a sin-cursed world in the flesh, in the form of a little child in a manger 2,000 years ago, but he is not constrained to that fleshly body that he was born into. He said he would lay his life down and he would rise up again. He would 
uh, lay his life, no man would take his life from him, but that he would lay it down and he would take it up again. And that's exactly what he did. He's all powerful. He's God of the universe. He can do whatever he wants, really. One person said, well, I don't think that's uh, right for God to do that. And my dad said, well, he said, uh, there are rules and principles by which God operates by. But he said, really, in the reality of things, God doesn't have to answer to you. You are his creation. <laughs> we are created by God. Who are we to try to dictate who God is or what he does? But he uses the phrase here uh, in the book of Timothy that he is the immortal king. He's the king eternal. He's the immortal king. He's the invisible king. The invisible, the immortal, the invisible. He's not restricted. He doesn't have to be in one place at a time like you and I do. If he's going to go someplace, he doesn't have to get in a car and be transferred. He, he doesn't have to eat to sustain his strength. He's not uh, bound. He is a, a ruler without limits, if you will. And also in this passage, the king eternal. He is not restricted by time. Uh, the kings of the earth... Their rulership or their lordship only lasts for a certain dispensation, a certain time frame. There's a time when they are anointed as king. There's a time when they are given that crown and uh, they don't take it, but they are given that crown by the previous ruler that's handed down to that king. And then that king serves as a period of time and then that king has to hand it on to someone else or that king passes away and it's uh, the next one uh, in line for the kingship and that is assumed authority to the next person in line. But that's not the case with Jesus Christ. His lordship, his authority is not restricted by time or physics. He's not only called the immortal king, but following an alphabetical order, he is called Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, Emmanuel. Or Emmanuel in that passage in the New Testament spelling, we have Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. That's one of the favorite names of Christ for me. I, I like that name. God with us. His name shall be called Emmanuel, for God will be with us. He shall be with His people. He shall dwell in them, like we said at the beginning of the service. He, didn't just, he just doesn't come and meet in this building at a certain time, whatever time we set. We watch our clocks and say, okay, here comes 6 o'clock. We better get in there. God's going to meet with us if we don't get in there on time. And uh, he leaves before we get there. We're in trouble. <laughs> I'm glad that we're not the boss of that kind of stuff. I'm glad that the Lord just doesn't come and meet with us here together. I'm thankful that He does. This is a special place, a special time dedicated for Him and to worship Him and, and to learn about Him. But you know, at the end of this service, He can go out with every single one of us. And if you remember back there uh, in the Old Testament about how the tabernacles were designed and there was the, the holy place and then there was the holiest of holies where the priests would only go at a certain time of the year and where they would, uh, put, they would have bells around the perimeter of the garment and they would have a rope tied around the waist. And if there was any sin in that priest's heart, if there was anything that was going on behind closed doors and that priest went in there to offer the sacrifice to the Most High God, there was smoke in there that filled the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord shone round about. And when they would go in there, if they had sin in their heart, if there was something going on, they would drop over dead. And that rope was to carry them out. If they didn't hear those bells ringing and they were carrying out the office of the priest, they knew something happened to them. It was serious business. You didn't play around in God's house. You didn't play around in the holiest of holies. I'm so glad that God is not restricted to a special building that's called the holiest of holies, but that He has come down into the heart of each person who invites Him, as the song says. Where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. That's so true. And on that great day when he died on the old rugged cross and he said he toned, uh, coined those words, it is finished. He wasn't saying his life was finished. He said that the salvation plan is finished. Praise the Lord. He came down to live a perfect life, to endure the suffering and living in a sin-cursed world, to leave a spotless example. And only one has lived holy. And it could be that lamb, that sacrifice, which we might get to that name too, but he's called the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Remember those words when he came and he was meeting John the Baptist? And he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Amen. The spotless Lamb. But backing up a little bit, when Jesus said it is finished, and he took his last breath, and he laid his life down willingly for you and I, 
Something happened in the temple. You remember that? The scriptures tells us that that big curtain, that big thick curtain, which wasn't just like a, a napkin. It wasn't just like something that maybe we might put up in front of the, the window to keep the light from shining while we're trying to sleep. It wasn't anything a little thin, but it was actually layered fabric. And you can go back in the Old Testament and read. Uh, it seems to be pointed out that it was nearly a foot thick or better. It was a pretty big garment. It wasn't something that somebody's just going to take and rip it. But there's also something else significant that happened. When he died on the cross and he said it is finished, and that curtain that separated the holiest of holies from the people, that curtain that was rent in twain, that was ripped, it was ripped from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. If you understand the dimensions of the tabernacle, you know it was too high for anybody to be up there hiding or anybody to grab it by the top and try to rip it. It was not ripped from the bottom up, but it was ripped from the top down. And it was God signifying that His Spirit shall dwell with mankind. Aren't you so glad? God with us. He's not restricted just to a building, just to a certain time of the day. I'm so glad that we can set time aside to have our devotions. I'm so glad that we can set time aside to read our Bible and to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. And I hope you do that every morning. If you're going to live very long spiritually, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to set time aside. I remember a time in my life where I said, you know, I think having devotions is about reading Scripture. And it does include reading Scripture. And I said, I want to be strong spiritually and I'm going to read this many chapters a day. And I remember just going to the Bible and opening up the Bible and reading that many chapters a day. And I remember getting done reading that many chapters a day and closing the Bible and going on my way and not really feeling much different. <laughs> I remember I thought, well, it's about a certain time. You need to set a, you need to set a stopwatch. And you, gotta, you need to have devotions for a certain amount of time each day. I'm glad that we make time to have devotions, but it's not about the time. I remember watching the clock and as soon as the time was up and I was ready to go, I didn't feel ministered to. I remember the difference when God spoke to my heart and opened up my spiritual eyes and I said, Lord, before I open up this Bible this morning, I need your help to understand the Word. I am nothing. Oh, I can read the words, maybe. I've been taught that. I've been taught English. I can read the words. I can try to maybe understand in my mind. But I want to understand in my heart. I want you to speak to me on the inside. And I remember just saying, Lord, would you give me understanding in the Word? And uh, would you speak to me in this time? And I remember opening up the Word and it's like it came alive. Amen? That's why it's called the living word. The word of God because it continues to speak to us and speak to his children through that word. I'm so glad that it's not just here when we're in church together. I'm glad the Lord speaks in those times. I'm glad we can feel the Lord's presence. It's not about feeling his presence. It's not about just the little time we spend together in church. But it's about the Lord dwelling in mankind. Dwelling in us. We are vessels. Amen? I'm so glad that Emmanuel, God, has come says also in that same passage that He is the invisible King. He is the King. There's one parable that Jesus gave in the New Testament where He says the judge is standing at the door. It's like the judge is just on the other side of the door. And uh, judgment is coming. And it's like the, the perpetrator, it's like the criminal, they just think they're going to get by all the time. But the judge is just on the other side of the door. He can see. But he's not able to be seen at this time. There's going to come a day when every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is going to bow down at his throne. And they're going to give an account for everything in their life. They're going to give account for every word that was spoken out of their physical lips. They're going to give account for every deed that was carried out with their hands in the places that they went with their feet. They're going to, carry, they're going to be, uh, give account for the thoughts that they allowed to be entertained in their mind, the things that they chose to think about, the thought life will be given account for the intentions of the heart. There's a lot of criminals out there that they would do more if they thought they could get by. They would. They would. And the only thing that holds them back from doing more is the thought that they're going to get caught. But God is going to judge people based on their heart, based on the intent of their heart and what they would do if they could do it and get by. He's the invisible king. He's just out of sight. You can't see him with your physical eyes. It actually describes in the book of Revelations that when he comes, many are going to be slain with his coming. There's going to be many in this wicked and perverse world. It's ta not talking about the saints that are slain. It's not talking about, he says, he, uh, the Bible says that he will appear to those who are looking for him. Some people say, I want to be ready. Well, the way to be ready is to be looking for him. Amen. Are you looking for Jesus? 
Is the preacher tonight predicting when Jesus is going to come back? No. But the Bible does say to live ready. And whether the Lord comes back in 10 minutes or 10 years or 10,000 years, our job description is the same. We are to live ready and get everyone else ready as best we can. To grow in our walk with Him, to glorify Him, to lift up His name. There's going to come a day when He is going to appear. And there's many, many people with sinful hearts that will be slain at His coming, the Scripture says. The brightness of His coming, the glory of His being would slay the physical body. Moses had a request. He wanted to see God. What a request. Have you ever asked to see God? I've asked that. I remember praying that as a young child. Lord, I'd like to see you. I believe the Bible. I've seen you do things, but I would just like to see you. Amen. Wouldn't you like to see the Lord? I remember when I had my motorcycle wreck and almost died, I started getting a little bit excited because I thought I was going to be able to see the Lord pretty soon. Was I excited about the pain? No, I wasn't. Not a bit. And I remember laying there in that hospital bed in the intensive care unit as a Category 1 in the trauma center up at Grant Medical in Columbus, being life-flighted in there, and thinking just, boy, it would just be easier to go on to heaven than it would be to try to get back to good health and learn how to walk again if I am going to get to keep my leg and whatever else. I didn't know what the condition was at that point. But those that are really walking in the light, they get excited about seeing Jesus. Moses wanted to see Jesus, but... But God couldn't reveal Himself to Moses because He said the brightness, the glory, would slay you. But He told Moses to go in the, in the cave and He covered over the cave with His hand and He said, as I pass by, He said, you'll see the shadow of the back of me. And boy, wouldn't that be thrilling. You know, when Moses came down off the mountain, you go back and read in the Old Testament. Don't take my word for it. Go back and read the story in the Old Testament. Moses came down off the mountain he didn't have to have a shirt that said, I've been with Jesus. His face was shining with the glory of the Most High. And it says that his face was so bright that nobody else in the camp could even look on Moses. You want to be an effective soul winner for God? Be in God's presence. It's where you have that holy glow. I'm not necessarily talking about Something that you always see with your physical eyes of brightness where you could go in the room or where we could turn the lights off right now and you would just see the glow without the lights. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about, but that spiritual glow of being in God's presence. That's effective. That's effective. And, and you, you can say a lot of hard truths to a person if you do it in love and you do it in compassion and they know that you care for their soul and they'll respect you. Most of them will. Emmanuel. The invisible king. He's called Jesus. Let's turn our Bibles over to Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. I'll read it to you in just a few moments. It's the story we've been reading so much here in these last couple weeks. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. It's the angel that appeared to Joseph in a dream. And you can read the prior verses, but I mostly want to focus upon verse 21. It says, And she shall bring forth a son, referring to Mary, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what the word Jesus means by biblical definition. Because Jesus came to save people from their sins. Not to just make a person feel good while they're in sin. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm pretty sure about you. But if I had cancer, I wouldn't want a doctor to come in and look at me and say, Well, you look pretty nice. Your skin tone looks fine. And here's a Band-Aid. Wherever it hurts, just put a Band-Aid on. I wouldn't be interested. I'd be finding another doctor. Jesus didn't come down just to make a person feel good in iniquity. Just to give them a little pat on the back and say, I think you'll be alright. Just to encourage a person in the sinful ways of life. But He came down to change a person's heart. 
Let me tell you something. You, you probably remember the change that happened. But when you're born again and there's a change down inside, it'll come out on the outside. You can go through a whole list of stuff. And there's a lot of churches and a lot of groups that get hung up on a list of things that you do's and you don'ts. And you could sit down with a list of things in the scriptures. There are standards in the Bible that says you should do this because it will help you spiritually. And you should set up this safeguard to keep you out of traps of the enemy. There are those standards in the Bible. But you could sit down with a list of things and you could try to apply those to your life. Which, by the way, to live holy, you can't do that on your own. You need God's help to do that. But if you could, if you could follow that list of things, there still wouldn't be a change down inside. Being born again is when there's an encounter with Jesus, when Jesus comes in. And He doesn't force His way in, but you have to ask Him into your heart. You have to invite Him in. And like 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, referring to Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He came to deliver us from sin. We have to live in a sinful world, at least until we take our last breath down here, or until the trumpet sounds. But thank the Lord that the world doesn't have to stay in us. Amen? It's a whole lot easier to live in victory when you get the world out of your life. <laughs> I say it's kind of, if, you, if you're forgiven of your sins, but yet your heart isn't changed, you'll, you'll go back to sinning again. Because your heart is bent towards sinning. You have that sin nature. You'll still desire to do those old works of the flesh, those old deeds that the devil calls you to do. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. And if you love God and something happened down in your heart and He's transformed your life and He's imparted His divine love down in your soul, there will be a change. And you won't have to understand everything that's happening. You just walk in the light. If you walk in the light, you have fellowship with Him. I told a person this past week, there's no person that's been cleansed, that's had a heart cleansing that hasn't sought for it and asked for it. There's no person that's been sanctified wholly in their inner being that hasn't wanted it more than they wanted anything else. If you want forgiveness, you have to ask. If you want to be forgiven, you just ask Him to. If you want to be cleansed, you have to ask Him. But you have to want it more than you want anything else. I've been working with some people who are having drug problems. And you can only help a person so much if they don't want to help themselves. They have to want free more than they want anything else. You have to get to that point. And it's the Holy Spirit's conviction that helps a person get to that point. It's the Holy Spirit coming to a person and, and helping them to see rightly. Knocking on their heart's door and saying, well, if you'll just let me come in. Jesus said there in the book of Revelations, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. And I will fellowship with him. I will abide with him. In other words, he, he makes... Our heart, His home, to abide with us, Emmanuel. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Jesus has come to deliver His people from their sins. Let's stand tonight. You've been patient. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This altar is open up here. Some churches don't have altars. They do their spiritual business different. But I like this altar. It's a good place to meet with God. The old-timers used to call it a mourner's bench. Sometimes people will kneel at the altar and cry and pour their heart out to God. It's not a confessional by any stretch. Jesus is the one who died for your sins. And Jesus is the great high priest, not the preacher. You don't have to tell your sins to a preacher. You don't have to confess your sins to anybody else. If you've wronged a person, the Lord will lead you to go back and make restitutions to make it right. If you've stole something, He will lead you to take it back and return it. If you've lied against a person, He'll lead you to go back and make apologies, make things right. The Bible doesn't seem to paint a picture of a person who just asks God for forgiveness and then moves on. But God always, always, always will lead the true heart back to make wrongs right. There are some things maybe you couldn't make right. God is understanding about that. But every true believer endeavors to make restitutions and to make wrongs right as best they can.
Jesus even said in one place that those who would come to the altar, and God would show them that there's something in their heart they have that they need to fix and get right. He says that you would leave your sacrifice there and go to that person and make it right. That's what the Bible says. But the altar is a beautiful place. It's a place, this altar has been a place where people have gotten saved. They've gotten forgiven of all their sins. It's a place where others have been sanctified. And after their sins have been forgiven, they've asked the Lord to come in and cleanse their heart and make them holy. Give them the strength to live free of sin and to walk in obedience. It's been a place where those who have uh, fought battles spiritually and fought against the enemy of discouragement where they've come and they've been encouraged and prayed. It's been a place where some backsliders have recommitted their hearts to the Lord. But really, it's a place to meet with the Lord, whatever it might be. We should never be ashamed to meet with the Lord, to pour our hearts out to Him. Has God spoken to your heart? Has He shown you some truth, something you need to walk in? Is there anything you need to repent of? Is there a direction, a course change that needs to happen? I would invite you to come up and pray at the altar. The church is full of people who want to see everyone in here make it to heaven. We all have the same goal. We want to please Jesus, live according to His Word, and make it to heaven. That's our desire. I'm not aware of anyone in here that would try to hinder another believer, try to hinder anyone from making it to heaven or following the Lord or walking in the light. should be easy. should be easy to pour out our hearts to Him. Does anybody need to pray tonight? I'm not going to tarry long. I'm not one to really take... A long time inviting people. I think if the Lord has spoken to you and you decide you want to walk in the light, you do that. Not everyone gets saved. As our brother said earlier, not everybody gets victory here at the altar or in a church. This isn't your only place to pray. You can pray anywhere. God hears you anywhere. In a humble, contrite heart, humility, desire to seek Him and walk in obedience, God will hear your prayer. But if God has spoken to you here in the church, it's best to get things settled before you go out the back doors. The devil, he's been known. He has a long track record of tricking souls till it's too late. Telling people that they can put it off and there'll be a better time later. Let me tell you something, a spiritual lesson I've learned and a lesson of life that it's never easier later. It's always easiest right now. Never later. Don't put it off. God's spoken to your heart. We trust to be faithful in walking in obedience. Let us close in prayer. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for your word, for the ability to read your word and understand. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit ministering this truth to our hearts. May you press these truths upon our hearts as we go about our ways. May your spirit go with us. We thank you for each one who's here, but we pray for those who had a desire to be here and could not make it. We ask that your blessings would rest upon all. In Jesus' name we pray, to thy glory. Amen. You're dismissed.